worship your holy name and sing like never before oh my soul I'll worship your holy name yes I will worship your holy name once again now I will worship your holy name. Amen. You love him. Put your hands together for him tonight. Hallelujah. Amen. Why don't you sing this song with me? I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. Amen. KFC, I believe it is. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I'll enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Oh, he has made me glad. Yes, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he He has made me glad, oh, He has made me glad. I will rejoice, for He has made me glad. And I will enter His gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter His courts with praise. And I will say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Oh, yes, he has made me glad. Yes, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. Oh, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Oh, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. Praise the Lord. Oh, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm redeemed. I'm redeemed. Praise the Lord. I've been redeemed by love divine. Oh, glory, glory. Christ is mine. All oh, to Him I have resigned. I've been redeemed by love divine. Oh, glory, glory, Christ is mine. All to Him I now resign. I have been. Hallelujah. Sorry, I think we had it in a little bit of a high key there for you. Amen. Hallelujah. You love him. Amen. Let's sing another. Uh, 
song slips my mind. Hosanna, blessed be the rock. That's it. Hosanna, blessed be the rock. Blessed be the rock of my salvation. Hosanna, blessed be the rock. Blessed be the rock of my salvation. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, for He is worthy to be praised. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, for He is worthy to be praised. Blessed be the rock, blessed be the rock of my salvation. Hosanna, oh blessed be the rock, and blessed be the rock of my salvation. Well, glory, glory to His name, He lives and reigns Blessed be the rock, oh blessed be the rock of my salvation. Hosanna, blessed be the rock, blessed be the rock of my salvation. Jehovah Jireh is his name, for he provideth all my Jehovah Jireh is His name, for He provideth all my need. Hosanna, oh blessed be the rock, blessed be the rock of my salvation. Hosanna, blessed be the rock. Blessed be the rock of my salvation. Amen. Can we bring it up to the key of G? If you're in the battle for the Lord and right, amen. You want to keep on the firing line. Let's sing it together. Well, if you're in the battle for the Lord and right, keep on the firing line. If you win, my brother, surely you must fight. Keep on the firing line. There are many dangers that we all must face. If we die of fighting, it is no disgrace. A coward in the service, he will find no place. So keep on the firing line. Be brave against all evil Oh, never run or even lag behind And if you win, God in the righteous Keep on 
firing line And if you wear a crown Then bear the cross you must Oh, just keep on the firing line Life is but to labor for the master dear Built to banish evil and to spread good cheer Great you'll be rewarded for your service here Oh, keep on the firing line Well, you must fight to heaven, brother, you'll be glad, oh, keep on that firing line, and how we'll praise the Savior for the call we have, just keep on that firing line, and when we see the souls that we have helped to win, leading them to Jesus from the paths of sin. Shout and welcome with a long march in oh, keep on the firing line Sing it now But you must fight Be brave against all evil Never run Or even lag behind If you would win for Just keep on the firing line Hallelujah, oh hallelujah Well he's my rock and my shield Yes he gives power to all Hallelujah, oh hallelujah And now I'm free from condemnation Cause Jesus is the rock oh, of my salvation I can run through the tree and leap over a wall Hallelujah, oh hallelujah, sing it now. Well, I can run through a tree and leap over a wall. Hallelujah, oh hallelujah. Well, he's my rock and my shield, and he gives power to all. Hallelujah, oh hallelujah. And now I'm free from condemnation Jesus is the rock of my salvation I can run through the truth and leap over a wall hallelujah oh hallelujah amen give him some more praise hallelujah amen aren't you glad you're free from condemnation God bless you friends welcome tonight to our broadcast the Hickory Bible Tabernacles. Good to be with you. Good to be with you in this way. And uh, we just trust that uh, what's said tonight will be a blessing to you. And as we just pause in the middle of our week and study the word just for a little while, uh, I think it's it's an edifying thing. It's a good thing for us to be able to gather around God's word, no matter how we have to do it. And uh, tonight we're going to turn right to the word and uh, just want to bring some of these prayer requests before the Lord and 
sent out an update today and there was a couple of requests that are in there. We want to continue to remember uh, little Lincoln and then also brother Troy and sister Connie's uh, nephew Kent and just praying that the Lord will minister to him. He's been diagnosed with cancer in the lung and um, just having a difficult time. And so we just uh, would trust that the Lord would uh, minister to him, deal with his heart. And that's one thing to save the body, but it's a different thing to experience salvation in the soul. And God can certainly speak to an individual through uh, through those times. There are many other requests. I've got several unspoken requests here tonight, and I, I just trust that the Lord will uh, minister to the needs that you have upon your heart. And let's look to him in prayer as we begin tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your tender mercies to us. We thank you, Lord, for all the good things that you provide. You're so faithful. You're still Jehovah Jireh tonight. Now, in the name of Jesus Christ, I commit this service into your hands, Lord. Pray that you would minister mightily and personally to each one, and that, Father, you'd take complete control. We ask, Lord, as we approach the word, and we ask as we handle this word, that you would forgive us of anything that may be contrary to the moving of the Holy Spirit. And that, Lord, you would just come on the scene and just give us the instruction and righteousness that we need and Lord, may our attitudes be correct. May our hearts and minds be open. And Father, may your presence just be very real. We commit our evening into your hands now. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. We're very thankful for the testimony for little Lincoln. We prayed for him Sunday. And uh, that's Sister Karen's grandson. And uh, he was going to go into the hospital on Monday. When he got there, he had exceeded by a large amount the uh, amount of weight that he needed to have. And so they're going to reassess him later this week. So continue to remember him in prayer. But I, I just uh, took that as a real answer to prayer and uh, was very thankful for what God did there. And uh, I believe that, you know, prayer prayer makes a difference. And so we're thankful for that. All right, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to read a couple of passages there. Uh, I've never preached on this particular verse of scripture before. And uh, I'm going to, uh, we're going to read it at the beginning here, and then we're going to uh, talk about a, just a, a number of different things here tonight, and we'll uh, work our way around to this uh, passage again. There's a lot here that uh, I have on my uh, plate tonight that I want to share with you. In Matthew chapter 7, and uh, we'll read, I've got verse 14 on the screen, but if you don't mind, I'd like to read from beginning at verse 12. And therefore, all things whatsoever... Ye would, do, ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. And may God add his blessing tonight to the reading of his word, and may God bless the bride of Christ. Now, we, we look in the, the scripture, it, it is an easy thing and a common thing for us to say that uh, all scripture is an absolute to us. And yet I have a real, in my heart, uh, this may sound a little bit strange, but I have a real, um, real fear in my heart that somehow or another that that message does not really resonate in every heart. Uh, among those that claim to be members of the Bride of Christ. And I say that with all sincerity, but I do believe that uh, for the people of God, and let's just say it this way, for the people of God, 
there's there's no higher standard. The bar has never been raised higher than the understanding of the Word of God that we have been uh, privileged to see and understand in this last day. And we can always come back to the Word of God. And our, our decisions, our choices always should be measured against that absolute. Uh, for we never have a right to move the boundary markers that God has put in place. Paul writes it this way in 2 Timothy, that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine and reproof, for, correct, for correction and for instruction in righteousness. So how we conduct ourselves, how we check ourselves, how we improve ourselves, how we teach ourselves and, and others, and how we... Uh, how, how we um, how we navigate is is all conducted by the scripture. In a sense, it's all founded upon the scripture. Uh, if you don't mind, I don't have the scripture verse written here, but let's go, just go to Ephesians chapter 1. And I'd like to read a little passage there, if you don't mind. Ephesians, the first chapter. And we want to take just a little uh, little reading here. In verse 17, and this is the statement that Paul makes, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of, the, of his inheritance in the saints. The knowledge of God, in verse 17, Ephesians 1, 17, the knowledge of God is, is the basis or the foundation upon which all knowledge is added. If we start from anywhere else, which is the knowledge and the experience that we have with God, then we're never going to come out properly in the construction of the stature of a perfect man. The, the knowledge of God is where it begins. The knowledge of God is essentially that foundation. And so it's extremely important for us to begin right there. And Paul prays that we would have that spirit of wisdom and revelation and that knowledge, because that's how God builds. It's, it's by the revelation of Jesus Christ that the church is built. And individually and personally, even as a family, that, that, that's exactly how a family is built. That's how the structure is, is uh, formed is based on the knowledge of God. And by his grace, he has unveiled himself in a great and a mighty way in this time, in a, never a more clearer picture of Christ than what we've got in this age. We are extremely privileged people. But as I've said before, with the privilege of revelation comes the responsibility that goes with revelation. And so every one of us need to be reminded, and we are reminded a lot these days, uh, that every other absolute seems to be collapsing. And even the Bible itself is under attack. And the influences of this world are inherently stronger than people give the world credit for. Uh, I will will elaborate on that a little bit more. So therefore, I want to say today that, uh, and, and I, I labored a lot about what to say in the service tonight, and I, I, I believe I'll probably be just laying a groundwork for something coming up on the weekend here. But I, I believe that, the mandate given to parents is is really important here to shape the minds and to give direction within their family and especially to their children. And, uh, you know, sometimes uh, teenagers, sometimes they feel like, well, you know, it's just mom and dad. And I don't need to listen to them. I have my own ideas. I am very much influenced, and they may not say this, but I'm very influenced by what my friends think and do, how they act, how they conduct themselves. 
And I'm telling you that there is an order that God's given, and I believe that parents, whether they are good at it or not, they have a mandate given by God uh, to minister to their children, to pass along the righteous teaching that God's given to one generation to another one, even when the world comes hard against that. And I have labored in my ministry over the years, over almost 40 years, and and tried to encourage parents through men's meetings and tried to uh, encourage men to step up to the plate and remind them that that's their job. And if they don't, uh, then someone else is going to step up to the plate in the lives of your family. And, uh, you know, to, to churches to be a, a strong place. When I say a strong place, a place where the presence of God is acknowledged and the presence of God is effective. It is able to change lives. It is able to speak to hearts. It is able to be recognized by the people who attend that church. It is not the building. It is not the crowd. It is not the uh, it, it, it's not the physical surroundings. It is the presence of God that makes a difference. It's the presence of God that produces holiness. It's the presence of God that produces the fruits in your life. And so, therefore, we have to labor to create an atmosphere into which the Holy Spirit is welcome. That does not begin in the church. It begins at home. And uh, it's very important for us to recognize that. So uh, I would say this as well. In Hebrews chapter 12, Paul writes this, You have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Paul runs a parallel between a natural father and our heavenly father. And uh, the chastening of the Lord is not just the discipline for bad behavior, but the chastening is actually the teaching that the Holy Spirit will give to produce in you what he has predestinated. And that's what's very important. So every one of us need to go through this. Every one of us in the adoption process will experience this. Because remember, God is, God is very keen on bringing us to the place we need to be before we step into that other dimension. All right, so here we find in Matthew chapter 7 uh, that God's got a rule, and uh, his number one rule is found here. We find it in every gospel. We find it uh, in strategic places all through the Bible here. But uh, the, the rule that uh, Jesus refers to here is, uh, whatsoever you would that men should do to you, even even uh, do ye even so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. If you could actually take the uh, the law and the prophets, or the entire Old Testament, and summarize it, it would be that number one, you are to love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul, and then secondly, secondly, the summary is this: that you would do to men as they would do to you. And do ye so to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And this this principle then becomes an overriding one, because when they ask Jesus about, uh, you know, give give us the synopsis, give us the give you know, uh, cut everything else out and give us the one line executive summary of the Old Testament. This is what he goes to. Now, hang on, let, let's let's uh, find this here. Brother Branham says in The Man Running from the Presence of the Lord in 1965. And he talked about a, a father and a mother who needed to face the responsibilities of raising their children because uh, everyone has a method of raising their children. And you cannot, you cannot uh, avoid that responsibility. Even if we're not good at it, every one of us had that responsibility of, if we have children uh, to raise those children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And uh, Brother Branham says this as a father, he said to face up to that responsibility uh, to give your child a, a whipping or to give it discipline. Them little fellows, you don't want to do that. But as a father and mother, 
you've got to face the responsibility of raising that child because if you spear the rod, you'll spoil your son. He's going back to the scripture now. And that still stands good in the sight of every psychologist in the world, still remains God truth. Now, pause for a moment and just, uh, just give me a moment. The way we discipline our children is important. The ages that you discipline uh, your children will necessitate change. So if you're dealing with a three or four-year-old, that's different than if you're dealing with a 12 or a 14-year-old. Uh, there are things that uh, there are things that change as children age because it's very easy to foster a spirit of rebellion in children when you take something that's not appropriate and you apply it to a child and it should be uh, uh, gauge more to their age and to the crime that uh, has been committed. And so uh, we've talked about that before. We should probably revisit it again. Uh, but Brother Branham's stating an obvious truth here that uh, this remains true, he said, in the sight of every psychologist, everyone who's an expert on raising children. Now, that's the way it used to be. Now, things have changed today, uh, and that's where the, the, the fear comes in from my part. But he says, if there had been more of that practiced, we wouldn't have had so much juvenile delinquency and the rot we got in the world today. Well, listen, if in 1965 he referred to uh, the, the psychological hogwash that existed in the world in that day, where the, uh, you know, the Kinsey Report and all of the different things that were being introduced uh, back in the 60s and 70s there, and the new wave of thinking that now was pervasive in schools and uh, among psychologists back then, he says, if, that, if that's rot, Imagine what he would refer to it uh, today in, in, you know, allowing children, uh, you know, the, the right uh, to be able to choose their gender and to prevent families from being able to identify children and refer to the ch children and grandchildren as, as a boy or a girl. I mean, it, it is absolute insanity that we're facing today. But Brother Man brings us back now to the scripture. But the old golden rule of the home has been broken a long time ago, and they let kids do whatever they want to. That is a way of raising your children to let your kids do what they want to. And I will guarantee you it doesn't work. When children get to make decisions about what happens in the home and what kind of discipline there is or whether there's going to be discipline, in fact, uh, you're going to have a broken home, absolutely. And he says this old golden rule of the home. And let me say this, at the at the core of raising children to be uh to be to be uh, respectful and to uh, to be mindful and to be obedient is this whole concept of respect. And I wish uh, tonight we had a little bit more time to deal with that uh, because without it, uh, let me tell you, the, there's there's no correct interaction and communication between uh, parents themselves and also parents and children. So let's move on here a little bit because I just want to lay this little groundwork for you. In Leviticus chapter 19, the Bible says, Thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among thy people, neither shalt thou stand against the blood of thy neighbor. I am the Lord. Now, when they asked Jesus the question in Matthew chapter 7 about what would be the greatest commandment, this is where he went. He went back to passages like this, and uh, he referred to this particular scripture, 17. Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. 18, thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. 
So he expands a little bit uh, in, in the Old Testament here in Leviticus. And, uh, you know, tail-bearing is, uh, you know, to spread things about another person that uh, may or may not be true. And I've I found it to be very, uh, very effective, a very effective principle that if we don't have anything good to say about somebody, don't say anything at all. Just let it go. Uh, God's going to deal with him, and thou shalt not avenge, verse verse uh, 18. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, and don't bear a grudge against the children of thy people, because people will do things that you don't agree with. People will do things that uh, you consider to be important and sacred, and people will walk all over that. But he says, hey, if, if you'd begin to develop grudges against people because of the things they do, uh, you're, you're going to wind up with bitterness in your heart in a big way. And so you're going to have to learn to let go of some things. You're going to have to learn to forgive. You're going to have to learn to love and, and, and treat people like you want to be treated yourself. And, and this is the rule that, that God wanted the children of Israel to live by. And without the Holy Spirit, let me tell you, that's a very hard, hard thing to do. In verse 17, thou shalt not hate thy brother in thy heart. I mean, people today are so easily offended. But you know what? It isn't just our day. Brother Branham said the same thing about his day. He said people, uh, you know, people, you say one thing and he said they'll fly up and they'll go and they'll visit another church and then they'll uh, get offended by that and go to another church somewhere else. And, you know, it, it's not the church that you need to go to. You need to, you need to reconcile things. You need to deal with things. Uh, you know, before you move on. Not that not that uh, people shouldn't move on. And there are times when that happens and times when God may, uh, for some reason or another, or, you know, sometimes things happen and, and sometimes God might move somebody from one place to another. It's a big deal. I think it's a big deal to do that. But certainly we should not move out of anger and we certainly not should move uh, out of hatred and we certainly shouldn't move because we've been corrected, especially when the correction is correct. When the correction, when correction comes your way or constructive criticism comes your way, then let me tell you, the, the Bible says the very best thing that you can do is accept that criticism and apply it. Look into the mirror of the word of God and apply it to yourself and don't hate somebody because, uh, you know, they, they rebuked you because of something that was true. Uh, don't try to get even with, with a person or bear grudge, but Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus comes along, and you can see as you begin to discuss this and you begin to talk about this, uh, it becomes a pretty important principle. And Jesus picks this particular thought in Leviticus 19 here as the one that is going to be, uh, you know, an overriding principle here. Now, let me just say this, folks, and and I, you you may think, wow, here goes Brother Barry again. I, I just want to say this that um, I, I really believe with all my heart. And I don't mean to be a prophet of doom here, but streaming as we are experiencing it tonight, to me, is going to be a um, is going to be a history lesson one day. We're not going to be able to do it, and uh, I, I I trust that we will, as long as we need it. Uh, I, I think I think it's a, a a great thing to have, obviously. But um, let me tell you, the world doesn't think the way that we think now, and and it's it's closing in. The world is closing in even more because our nation is is changing and uh, the mindset of the people is changing. Uh, let me read a little quotation here in questions and answers on, in Hebrews. And Brother Branham says, 
uh, he was talking about jobs and he was referring to how that, you know, they've uh, taken men out of certain positions now, put women in there. Uh, It's gotten way worse now. But they asked Brother Branham, well, what do you do about it, Brother Branham? He said, I had to respect it. I'm an American citizen. And I do that what the big bosses says do. And if a family ever loses its respect for the family, the children lose their respect to the parents and so forth, that family's torn to pieces. And if a church ever loses respect of its pastor, that church is gone. And if a nation ever loses their respect for the Supreme Court and its decisions, the lawmakers, then that nation has gone to pieces. We have to respect those things because they're the big boss. And it isn't, but it isn't right in the beginning. Absolutely. So, in other words, there may be there may be certain things that exist in our country today uh, that were not that way in the beginning. They were it, it's not right, it, and you know it's not uh, proper. It won't be that way in eternity. But nonetheless, uh, as an American, you know there's there's a certain responsibility that we have to comply to the law. And uh, now there comes a point, obviously, where when the word and and the uh, the laws of a land disagree, that it puts the believer on a spot to make a decision. And we'll talk more about that as we come along. But here's Brother Branham in 1957. He's looking at the nation and he sees how, uh, you know, there's a, a growing disrespect among people, especially among the youth. And back in the, in the late 50s, early 60s, uh, there was this arrogant uh, self, sense of empowerment that the young people had, a self-righteousness. Nobody's going to tell me what to do, and we'll take over the university, and we'll have a sit-in here, and, uh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll disregard uh, the, the civic order of our nation and our cities and, the, and our government and so forth. And they've, they threw it back in the face of the government here and protested everything that existed back in that time. Brother Branham didn't go for that. And he said, when we lose respect for a nation, when we lose respect for one another, he said that that the church is gone, the nation is gone, that family is going to struggle. And so that's why I say that respect is at the core. It, it is a foundational core issue when it comes to how successful a family is. And I believe this applies to a, a wife, to a husband. I believe that it applies to a, a father and his respect for the rest of his family. Uh, how a father would respect the women in the family and how he treats uh, his children with fairness and with love and with uh, righteous judgment. I, I think all those things are very important. And I will tell you that your children may not always agree. My children did not always agree with the decisions that I made and the disciplines that were handed out. But I will tell you what, uh, as they grow older and they begin to raise their, old fa- their own families, they realize the value of the proper kind of discipline and the proper kind of respect. And we have to preserve that within families. And as we look at this, um, we look at something very interesting. This is a, uh, an interesting example here um, in, in the book of Esther. And I've been reading the book of Esther. I went through uh, some details last night. I was just reading late into the night about the book of Esther. And uh, the, the book of Esther, the book of, of uh, Jonah, and the book of Ruth are three particular individual stories that tell, uh, tell details about an event. It's like an allegory or a story. Uh, and Brother Branham refers to it here. He says in the second paragraph, we know the book of Esther 
and, and Mordecai during the times of the reigns of the Medes and Persians. It's a very beautiful type here. The king, one of the greatest kings in the world of that day, and he had a great feast, and he called the queen to come and sit by him, and she wouldn't do it. She refused to do it. So we have a, a king who's looking for a bride, and the book of Esther is a story uh, an allegory of of this king searching for a bride, which is a type of Christ who, uh, you know, was looking for a bride through the ages there. And Queen Esther shows, uh, the, her story shows the amount of care and the amount of attention that was given to find and prepare a bride. And I think what's really beautiful about the story of Esther is that uh, when it came down to it, Esther refused the adornment of the world and the modern fashions and everything else. And the real beauty that she had didn't come from without, it came from within. And and the beauty that she displayed was a, was a in a sense, it's a natural expression of what was in the on the inside. She didn't have to rely on putting on anything on the outside, but it was something that came from the inside. And I believe that's the bride of Christ that you can put her in any situation and you can put her in any circumstance and she's going to believe the word and that word's going to express itself from the inside out. And that was the beautiful thing about Esther. And so you have this king uh, who is in search of a bride, I believe it was a type of Christ, and God was watching over his people even when uh, they had no idea uh, about the big picture or really what was going on. And how that through all of it and placing Esther in the position that she was in, uh, you know, eventually the, the Jewish people. Because, you know, here's Haman. He's got a hold of the king's signet ring. And that gives him the power to do things. Just like Satan's been given a power over Satan's Eden. And immediately Haman takes the ring and goes after the Jews, goes after God's people. And Esther's in place to counter that. And, uh, you know, even Mordecai said to her, for such a time as this, you you have probably been placed into the kingdom uh, to be able to uh, you know produce a uh, a reversal of that law of the king. And uh, my goodness, you know she saved the day in doing that, and it it was just a just a wonderful thing. Uh, and you know it, it, because it's an allegory and because it's such a beautiful type there, uh, it's it's not an unbeliever king marrying a a, a Jewish woman. Uh, let me tell you. Uh, the, the, when, when you, when you think about this, that certainly God was, was grieved. Elijah was grieved at Ahab because he married an unbeliever. And, and certainly John the Baptist was grieved because of Herod and how he had married his brother's wife. You can see how God was grieved in the days of Noah and the days of Sodom when they were marrying and giving, giving in marriage back at that time. God is against the wrong kind of marriage, that's for sure. But in this case, there's no action against the marriage of the king and Esther because this is a type of uh, how a king, this king would search for a bride and have this bride as his own one who gave herself to the king completely. And even Brother Branham says that Esther had to do it because she was under the law of the Medes and Persians. Now, if you if you want to find that, and I, I was reading this last night, if you don't mind, I'm going to read in, in uh, Jeremiah chapter 27. And this is Jeremiah talking to the people who are going into captivity. And uh, I think on Sunday we referred to Jeremiah chapter 29. But this is really striking because Jeremiah uh, tells uh, the people 
what they need to do when they go into captivity. So this is the, the book of Esther takes place over that season when the Jews are out of Israel. And this is what he says to the Jews, Jeremiah chapter 27 and verse 12. I spake also to Zedekiah, the king of, of Judah. And this is, this is Jeremiah now speaking to him and he's telling him what God told him. He said, bring your necks under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him and his people and live. So you are to come and to submit yourself to the king of Babylon. In other words, the, the authority that is over you in this time of captivity, in this time of exile, you're to submit yourself to that king. 13, and why will ye die, thou and thy people, by the sword, by the famine, by the pestilence, as the Lord has spoken against the nation that will not serve the king of Babylon? Therefore, hearken not to the words of the prophets that speak unto you, saying, you shall not serve the king of, of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie unto you. So don't you listen to anybody that says, don't serve the king of Babylon. Uh, God clearly says to them, when you go down to Babylon, you serve the king of Babylon. And the king called for Esther, and Esther submitted herself to that. God did not condemn her for that. As a matter of fact, God honored her for that. And uh, this was this was the, the allegorical type of uh, the lesson that we learn here of how God was going to deal with the bride in the Gentile period uh, much later on. Brother Bram said it's a very beautiful type. And this king was a king over a massive domain uh, back in that day and had all kinds of riches. And in other words, it was like, you know, he, he owned it all, uh, being very much a, a type of Christ, because all power was given unto him, both in heaven and on earth. And so this is a beautiful type here. Many, many nuggets we find uh, in, in the book of Esther here. Now, God had a completely different reaction when John the Baptist showed up in front of Herod or when Elijah showed up in front of Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, very different reaction altogether. And uh, you remember in the in the book of Numbers, chapter 25, you remember when the children of Israel were uh, going along in the desert and uh, there was a, one of the Jews brought a, a Midianite-ish woman into the tabernacle. You remember that? And uh, here's here's a Jew marrying uh, this Midianite woman, and they come in and sit down in church there. Phineas, who sees that, uh, he picks up a javelin and kills them both right in church. They're laying dead on the floor in the church. And God comes down and blesses that man for uh, doing that because we have a wrong kind of a marriage, a wrong kind of a union. And that's not what pe the people of God are supposed to do. Uh, the principle is very clear. And so God honors Phineas for taking action uh, against that kind of a union because it was never meant to be. It wasn't, wasn't right. And they deal with it. But now when we come to the book of Esther here now, we stand back, look at the big picture now, and we, we see here's, here's God honoring uh, not only the king, but honoring Esther and Mordecai in all of this here because this is a, a, a perfect type, a beautiful type here of, of uh, Christ and his bride down through the ages here. So when we look at it, we find the Bible is just full of all kinds of instructions here. And, and this is what, uh, you know, Paul encouraged uh, the early church. And now here's Brother Branham picking up on the same kinds of things in uh, the message called Why. In 1960, he said, Paul told Timothy to stir up the gift that was in him that came from his grandmother, Lois. And in Hebrews 7, Paul speaking on tithe paying. He uses this as proof here that Levi had an order from God to receive tithes, paid tithes, for yet he was in the loins of Abraham when he met Melchizedek, which was his great-great-grandfather, and it was accounted unto him for 
uh, paying tithes. Your life, he says, will impress your children and influence your children by the example you set before them. And I think it's a good thing that we put every effort we can before our children as godly parents. Make an example. Be an example. You make an example. You be an example. You live out that example and let your children be influenced by it. You can put the wrong thing in front of them and it'll be an example. You can put the right thing in front of them and it'll be an example. That's exactly what you're supposed to do is to put the right thing there. And he says that we should put every effort we can before our children as godly parents. Now, listen. Uh, when you're dealing with three and four-year-olds, we're going to influence them in a different way than we would our teenagers. And our teenagers, we're going to deal probably more one-on-one, pulling them aside, dealing with them as young adults, emerging, they're, they're developing their own faith, they're moving out and they're questioning things, they're questioning life, they're questioning what they're going to be doing, they're questioning where they're going in life all kinds of influences, all kinds of examples that are out there. You've got to pray that your example becomes very strong in their life. You've got to pray that God will give you the right words to say at the right season so that you're able to be an influence in their life. Absolutely. And so I've, we've read this scripture many times, Deuteronomy chapter 4, that in uh, what nation is there so great that has such statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? Uh, just uh, go, go back and let's reread it again. What 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 church or what bride is there so great that has the revelation and, and the word of truth so righteous as all this that God has set before us, a table spread which I set before you this day? Take heed to yourself. So with with the, with the statutes and judgments, Now your job is to take heed to yourself, keep your soul diligently, put guards up, make sure you live within the hedge, make sure that you stay within the boundaries that God has established, lest thou forget the things which I now have seen. Don't assume you're going to continue to be blessed if you go beyond the boundaries, lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them thy sons and thy sons' sons, especially the day that thou stoodest before the Lord in Horeb, And the Lord said unto me, gather me the people together, and I will make them hear my words, that they may learn to fear me all the days that they shall live upon the earth, and that they may teach their children. So God was intent on impressing Moses so that he could impress one generation so they would impress another. I believe God's done exactly the same thing. God raised up a prophet in our day to impress that generation who impressed this generation so that we will indeed impress the generation that is to come. Now, that's where the responsibility lays. The farther we get away from that vindicated prophet, the more people stray in their thinking because there is more of a pressure within the cosmos against the minds of young people today. And so when when Brother Branham was on the earth and the miracles were there and people could go sit in the meetings, let me tell you, that was a strong impression that was given to them. I think I told you the story. I know I told you the story about Willie Retief in South Africa when he went to uh, the meeting and Brother Branham was preaching there. And uh, he stood in the back. He was not a believer. He was just a very, very nominal Christian, didn't know anything about God. But somebody had convinced him to go to the meeting where Brother Branham was preaching. And he said, I stood in the back and he said, Brother Bram spoke for a little while, and then they, they, they sang Only Believe, and then they were going to have the healing line. And he said, and as they sang, he said, I've had the feeling like I was going up an escalator, just gradually rising, rising, rising. He said it was just, it, it almost scared him. He was being caught up, caught up in the spirit of that meeting there and the ministry that God had given to Brother Branham. 
And uh, Brother Retief said it was a it was an experience that he never forgot. So here's God through a prophet influencing a generation, who in turn influences another generation, who in turn has the responsibility to influence another generation. So we've got a group of kids in our church who are, you know, four, five, six years old. Hey, somebody better be influencing them for the right. And primarily, parents have that job to do that, and there is no giving away that responsibility. Brother Branham says, now listen, friends, the more simple you can be, the more God can deal with you. I'm not against education. Education's all right. Uh, but people get so highly educated till they think they know more about it than God does, and then they miss the goal. Let me say it again, and I've said it many times. Brother Branham's not talking about getting a degree so that you can get a good job. He's not talking about completing your high school so you can go on to get a good trade or, or a further degree. He's not talking about that. He's talking about the knowledge that people have, uh, like in, in theology or in a seminary <clears throat> or a know-it-all attitude when it comes to the things of God. And he says the best way to approach this is to be as simple as you possibly can. Forget all you ever know in your own knowledge to know Christ. And what you just come childlike and accept him, that's the way you accept God. That's the way you do it. I was born of a very humble parent, very humble home. I have no education at all. And when I made that remark a while ago about education, I wasn't trying to take crutches for my ignorance. Brother Brandon was not turning away people from getting a trade or an education that uh, gives them a good job to be able to provide for their family. That would be contrary to scripture. But what I'm trying to say, he says, that it doesn't take education to know God. It takes a submissive heart to know God. You have to understand that you can be influenced by the educational systems of our day, and they'll take you farther away from God, even in subtle ways, even secular education. Now, let me say this. Let me give you an example. If your children are involved in public school, and the public school system says, well, you have to wear shorts in order to participate, and you agree with that, you say, well, you know, it's only a temporary thing, or they've got to do this in order to do this. You've been influenced by that educational system. You've been influenced by that, and it will eventually take your child farther from God. And Brother Branham, he's, he's saying it takes a submissive heart. What, what you want to submit to is not, is not that system. What you want to submit to is the Word of God and the Bible, which is very clear, and then ask God to honor that stand like Daniel did. So let's put Daniel in a, and say, a public school setting or, uh, you know, some kind of a situation here where the world is demanding him to worship a certain way. And Daniel says, no, I'm not going to do that. And so he's willing to take the risk that God's word is true. And God honors that by holding back. That pillar of fire came right in that lion's den and held the lines back. And so God honors Daniel's stand in a dramatic way. Let me tell you, folks, what is that there for except to be an admission, an, an, sorry, an admonishment to us, a lesson to us? Those things were not written just for them to tell the history. Those things are written as an example to us to dare to take God at his word and make that stand and watch God honor it. When you do that, when you take God at his word and you say, all right, the school system says I got to do this. Well, you know what? Uh, I'm going to forfeit that. Uh, right to do something, I'm going to forfeit this, or I'm going to make my case that, you know, I don't have to uh, wear shorts in order to participate. People have done it before. 
uh, lots. It sometimes is not always easy, but people have done it before. Uh, you know, we, we think of Sister April Grant and, uh, you know, her, the pressure she went uh, under in order to uh, dress properly, being a, a, a surgeon in the position that she's in and fought hard. And it was a difficult battle uh, to do that. But I will tell you something, God honors people who make a stand like that. And, and that's a modern day example of Daniel back in the Old Testament who made the stand without compromising. And God honored that. And that's that's the example. And Brother Brandon was saying, we don't need to be, uh, this is not an intellectual process. This is a heart submitting itself to God and watching God uh, take that person through life. He's, he's not excluding education for the purposes of getting a job and so forth. He said, but it doesn't take an education to know God. It takes a submissive heart. And I think that's very important for us uh, to establish that. Now, uh, let me just, uh, (laughs) there's just so many things here. Psalm 78, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, his strength, his wonderful works that he hath done. Your commission is very clear to tell your children the things that God has done for you. When you stood for God's word, this is what he did. When we, uh, we, we refused to do things that, uh, you know, everyone else in the world was doing, then God honored this. And this is how he has seen us through. Uh, I remember, uh, years ago that, you know, years and years ago when our boys were, were small and there was a wedding and, uh, the people invited, uh, some of our boys to be a part of that wedding and, uh, the dress, the dress for this wedding was that all the boys wore shorts, all the, the ring bearers and so forth wore shorts. And we said, no, uh, you know, our boys are at an age where that's going to make a difference. And, and up the road, you just open that door one time and they start to say, well, I wore it there. Why can't I wear it over here? And so we just made that stand and said, no, Hey, listen, it was not always popular to do that. But uh, we made that stand and, uh, you know, it never became a problem for us later on in life. We never had to deal with that issue later on in life because our standard or our absolute was, was, was obvious. It was the one that we live by. And let me tell you, God will honor those things. And this is what David is telling that we're not going to hide these things. We're not going to hide the standards of the word of God. We're not going to hide the requirements of the word of God from our children, but we're going to show them, Hey, God acted on our behalf. God was strong on our behalf when we made a stand and the wonderful works that he has done. And he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded there our fathers that they should make them known to their children. We hardly had enough money to, to pay our bills and, and put food on the table, but we paid our tithes. And you know what? God honored that. And many, many testimonies. And, uh, you know, we, we uh, made the effort to uh, go to church and put God first and, and so forth. We honored God in all we did and prayed and watched God answer prayer and uh, come to our aid in times of need. We, we, we should be quick to testify of the strength of our God. That the generation that come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and forget not the works of God, but keep his commandments. Now, uh, I, I really appreciate somebody sent me this article right before we got online tonight, and I printed it out. And uh, this is uh, a little uh, expose 
uh, written in a document. And I'll give you this document if you want. I'll send you the link. I don't have it on here, but I'll send you the link. And the title of the article is How the Equality Act Would Legalize Religious Bigotry. And the subheading says this, the Equality Act explicitly targets the Bible, calling it a, a bigoted document with fully uh, discriminatory stereotypes. It would ban and target uh, observant Jews from religious ceremonies. Now, this is the this is the opening paragraph. All right, if you don't mind, let me read it to you real quick. The founding fathers recognized freedom of expression and religious liberty as core elements of diversity and tolerance. Let me say it again. The founding fathers recognized freedom of expression and religious liberty as the core elements of diversity and tolerance. Now, nearly 250 years later, Congress is acting to stamp those things out, which is a, a freedom of expression and religi religious liberty, ushering in a new era of government-sanctioned anti-religious bigotry. While no one could argue this is motivated by anti-Jewish biases in particular, the disproportionate repression of Jewish religious practice, and it targets reli uh, Jewish religious practice, by a law, ironically, billed as the Equality Act, is far too significant to ignore. The article goes on and it describes what happens to Jews if that act is passed in its entirety. Now, I want you to watch what the, the act includes, okay? Just one more little statement here and then I'll quit. Stripping this protection from the religious practice cannot be described as incidental. The Equality Act claims a notion that marriage is between a man and a woman is merely a sexual stereotype, and that opposition to same-sex marriage is inherently discriminatory. So we would be accused of discrimination if we said anything against same-sex marriage. Any discrimination on the basis of gender identity is likewise prohibited, even in the private sector. Thus, the Equality Act explicitly targets the Bible, calling it a bigoted document filled with discriminatory stereotypes. And it lists all of these uh, scriptures here, Genesis 1.27, Genesis 2.24, about uh, procreation and so forth. And anything certainly that is called an abomination like homosexuality, all of it. Hey, this is a, a government that is moving in direct and specific opposition to the words of the Bible. This is where we've come to. David tells us the Commission for Parents is for you to establish a testimony in your house that God's word is true, that the generation to come might know the principles, the exploits, and the strength of our God, even the children which should be born, they're not born yet, who would arise and declare them to their children. This is that multi-generational responsibility that I've talked about many times before so that they might set their hope in God. I will tell you this very clearly. If we don't influence our children and we don't lead them to Christ and evangelize them and do everything we can to uh, create an environment into which the Holy Spirit will come, we're, our job is not to convert them because we, we're not the Savior, but to create an atmosphere into which the Holy Spirit can come, that they might set their hope in God. Let me tell you, the world is ready to influence the children quickly and far from the principles of the Bible. You need to know what's going on in your children's phones. I know most of you think you, you uh, know what's going on. Let me tell you, you need to know what's going on in your children's phones. 
you need to understand what's going on, especially your young children. You need to really think about um, the liberties that children have because everybody else is doing it. And listen, that may not be popular. That may be not something you want me to say because it's a bother and it's a stress to have to deal with this and for your children to rise up and say, but everybody else has got it. Everybody else is doing it. Your commission is to have a testimony in Jacob and, <laughs> you know, giving God the praise that the generation to come and their children might be able to uh, declare to their children the, the standards and the word of God and the principles that are found in the Bible. Because I will guarantee you, folks, as much as you don't want to hear it, no one else is going to do it. No one else has been given the commission to influence your children, probably outside of me and your Sunday school teachers. Nobody else is going to pick up the mantle of influencing your children towards the kingdom like you have been commissioned to do that. I know some of you are rolling your, your spiritual eyes here, but I will tell you one day my voice will stop and we won't be able to stream this because the Equality Act would probably target streaming just like this. So you may, uh, listen, uh, and I don't mean to make ruin anyone's day, but I will tell you what, it, to me it's a critical moment for us in the, in, in the lives of our children and the, the commission is very clear. Let's let's go back for a minute here. Abraham Lincoln, he said, he was talking about education here and the purpose or the reason for education. He said, on the subject of education, not presuming to dictate any plan or system respecting it. I can only say that I view it as the most important subject which we as a people can be engaged in. He's not being unscriptural here. He says we need to be, we need to read, we need to learn, we need to master skills so that we can invent, so we can work, so we can, uh, you know, develop commerce and business and so forth. We can make a living for our families. That every man may uh, receive at least a moderate education, thereby be enabled to read the histories of his own and other countries by which he may duly appreciate the value of our free institutions appears to be an object of vital importance even on this. So the purpose of education is not only to be able to read and to understand the histories of where we come from, because if we don't understand the history, then we will not know how to plot our path in the future. But we may appreciate the value of our free institutions like liberty, freedom of the press, the freedom to vote, the freedom to bear arms, all of that. It appears to be of vital importance to us, what Lincoln says. But then he goes on to say, that account alone, he says, to say nothing of the advantages and satisfaction to be derived from all being able to read the scripture and other works, both of a religious and moral nature for themselves. This is Abraham Lincoln, 1832. And he says, one of these the advantages, and to say nothing of the, the great advantage and satisfaction of being able to read the scripture and the other works of a religious and moral nature. For my part, I desire to see the time when education, and by its means, morality, sobriety, enterprise, and industry, because that's what education included back then. Morality, sobriety, enterprise, and industry shall become much more general than at present and should be gratified to have it in my power to contribute something to the advancement of any measure which might have a tendency to accelerate the happy period. So whatever I can do to promote these things and make them more general, morality, sobriety, enterprise, and industry, and to be able to teach young people to be able to read not only the scripture, which is primary, 
but also other works which be of a religious or a moral nature for themselves. Wouldn't it be great if we could apply the token to bookstands today and put only things on there that were edifying? And this is what Lincoln, uh, you know, uh, hoped in some part to do. Can I go a little bit further and say this? Here's Brother Branham, and he's at the he's at the junction of a nation turning away from God. It, it it's not turning away now. It's it, it Brother Branham caught it here, and this is back in the late fifties, early sixties. Do you know the politicians can't judge right and wrong? He says you see them keeping quiet on this voting the Bible back in the church, the Bible back into the into the school rather. He says the, here's the problem. The problem is they're keeping quiet on voting the Bible out of schools and the mention of God out of schools. They don't know which way the politics are going to blow. So the the important thing for politicians of his day was to get reelected. Everything, everything revolves around the four-year cycle. And so I'm going to vote the way that the masses are moving rather than act on righteous judgment. He says, think of it. I don't know, he says, how it, it is in Indiana now, but in Arizona, it's against the law to read the Bible in school, and I think it's the same in Indiana, nearly the whole United States, because some infidel woman changed the whole program. And remember, it, it's against the law to read the Bible in our public schools, but believers' taxes support infidelity to be taught in the school. So, yeah, I mean, this is, this is ludicrous. We're taking out the thing that establishes the principles of freedom, the, the, the principles of morality, we're taking that out and we're putting in things that will produce the other kind of fruit in young people being taught and we're being forced to pay for it. And Brother Branham says it's because elected leaders are being silent and watching the, the poll rather than acting on righteous judgment. And what he's declaring here is that this is a departure from where we began. We need another Abraham Lincoln. We need another Patrick Henry. We need an American who can stand out regardless of where the politics are and call right, right, and wrong, wrong. So he identifies Patrick Henry. Let me tell you, Patrick Henry is a great man. And this was one of his statements. I love it. He says, the Constitution is not an instrument for the government to restrain the people. It is an instrument for the people to restrain the government, lest it, be, lest it come to dominate our lives and interest. Fear is the passion of slaves. So he had a right understanding of the Constitution and what it meant. But people needed to be educated in that. And not only that, but people needed to stand for that. And that's where Patrick Henry finally got up and made the great speech that he did, give me liberty or give me death, because he said, we have to preserve this understanding. We have to teach this understanding. Hey, listen, and here they are now in schools taking out the story of uh, George Washington because he was a slave owner and taking out the story of, uh, you know, uh, uh, Christopher Columbus and all the rest of it here and altering history. Uh, let me tell you something. It is the business. Here's what Henry said. It is the business of virtuous, a virtuous clergy to censure vice in every appearance of it. Now, look, hey, listen, you're, you're not going to turn this government around. You can try to do it at the ballot box. That's not my purpose here tonight. But I will say this. You have still the opportunity to turn things around in your home. You have the opportunity to be able to stand for what's right in your home and to enforce it and to raise a standard and to hold the word of God high, to freely read it, to encourage your children to read it, 
and uh, to be able to uphold the standards that God has put in place for us. I, I would, I, and I'm, I'm just simply encouraging you to do that. One more statement of Patrick Henry. He said, I have now disposed of all my property to my family. This is on his deathbed. There is one more thing I wish I could give them, and that is the Christian religion of the Christian faith. The religion of Christ will give them one which will make them rich indeed. A, a relationship with Christ. Now, we just read what David said here that, you, you know, you would impart what you know to your children, that they might impart it to their children. And and here's Patrick Henry saying, I, I you know, I wish I could give them the faith. I wish I could give them the religion. But let me testify of what God has done. Because the religion of Christ, the relationship with Christ will give them one which will make them rich indeed. That is the best thing I could impart to the generation that is to come. Brother Branham says we have fellowship one with another, and then the blood cleanses us from all unrighteousness. I have nothing against denominations. That's all right. I have nothing against education, nothing against song festivals. That's all right. Nothing against joining church, whatever it may be. It's all right. But it'll never produce. It'll never, never produce until the blood's been applied. The blood applied to the human heart will always bring a result. Let me just, uh, our, our time is running out here, and I, I, just, I just would like to say this, folks, just as clearly as I can, that respect is at the core of the relationships that are strong. Our respect for the Word of God is first. Our respect for the person of Christ, the presence of God, is, is the very foundation of all the growth that will occur. You look at the nation that disrespects God. Look at the nation that disrespects the Bible. And, and look what those nations have turned into. And look at what's happening in our own beloved nation and see what's happening to it. Respect is at the core of, of who we should be. I think it's very important that you make it your, your work to encourage your children to respect the Word of God, to respect the house of God, to respect the ministry, to respect the principles that God has so clearly put in place. Whether you're a teenager, whether you're an older person, it matters not. Because this applies to every member of the Bride of Christ. Without respect, that the, the thing is going to fall apart. Without respect, the nation is going to fall apart. Without respect, uh, you know, individuals are, are, are going to suffer. I, I just, uh, I would just really encourage you to uh, deal with the fact that, uh, you know, God truly watches over this formation of character. And I believe that our character is indicated, it is characterized by our respect for what he says. Don't try to make the Bible match your program, your idea. Don't try to take a little pinch of it and, and use it as justification for something that's clearly contrary. In every case, we have to stand back and look at what, what God's actually saying, what God is actually doing. We have no right ever to put interpretations to the Word of God. And, and respect for God's Word and the way he says it is, is critical for our success. The Founding Fathers stood for that. They believed for that. Many of them died for that. And, and now we see how far we've come in contradistinction to that. 
it's it's to me it's a uh, it's a sad day to see whether it's going. And let me conclude with this one statement here: that our character is watched by the Holy Spirit. If we're Methodist today, and that makes us a little mad, we'll go over to the Baptist the next day. They fuss at a little bit. Preacher steps on your toe, and away you go down to Pilgrim Holiness or to Nazarene. He says, you, you, no wonder you pack your paper from one place to another till it's about tore up. Let God take care of it and fellowship with all the brethren of like precious faith. Don't run away. Whether you see eye to eye or like, that doesn't matter. We're at least Christians, brethren, born in the same family. God received us in our peculiarities. We should receive each other. Listen, every one of us are capable of being twisted, being tempted, sometimes making bad choices. But you know what? If we're members of a family, we'll always be that. And we must learn to be forgiving. We must learn to be mindful of individuals and the struggles they go through. But in all of it, in all of it, you should pray that in your family and in our church, that the absolute remains the absolute, because without it, we fall apart. Father, we thank you for clear things, Lord, that a prophet said many years ago. We even think about the statements of these founding fathers, and there's many of them, Lord, how how they how they knew that a nation needed a firm stand for the principles of right, or that nation was lost. And Lord, here we are as a, a bride nation. Here we are living in the bride age and believing your word for this day. And Lord, it's, it's a great discouragement to see how young minds even, Lord, can be so easily influenced away from the things that are true. I pray, Father, you would give us the sincerity and the zeal. Give us, Lord, the passion to be able to influence the generations to come. That, Father, we might make it our job, our commission, to influence others who come behind us. And help them to understand that God is real, God is strong, God rewards them that diligently seek him. And, Lord, by living our faith, by being an example, we may influence even one towards the kingdom. Lord, I pray you'd bless our families, bless moms and dads, we do not always do things right. We are a people who've made many mistakes. But Lord, we can at least say we're learning and we're growing and we want, we want to do things right. We want to establish the right relationships with our kids. We want to discipline in the right way. We want to steer our family in a specific direction, making the things of God first and foremost. And Lord, may that in turn influence our children. We love you. We thank you. We pray, Lord, for your divine grace to be ministered to each and every one. And may, Lord, we be forgiving of, of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, guide us in your will, we pray. Minister to those who are sick, we pray. We thank you for answered prayer. And Lord, we just continue to commit the needs of your people into your hands. And we'll give you thanks and praise until we meet again. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you, saints. Thank you for being here tonight, and may the Lord bless you. We look forward to seeing you on the weekend.